1: Yeah. <laughs> legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis.
0: Good morning and I am so grateful to be back with you all and it was a wonderful week off on a pre-planned vacation to just spend some time away from the news cycle and everything with my family because as we know here on American Family Radio Network, family is so important and it was wonderful to spend time with my family and I have uh, three nephews and one little niece and uh, the boys turn five this weekend, which is very exciting. So we uh, celebrated their birthday and uh, they're my older brother's kids and they are just so sweet. Uh, They homeschool, which is wonderful. And uh, so we got to spend some time with them. And then my little niece just turned one um, a couple of weeks ago. So, and what's so um, amazing about their family, they, the oldest two boys who are now five, are twins. And then two years later, the uh, the second boy was born, well, third, but second pregnancy. And he was born on the exact same day, just two years later. So all three boys <laughs> share the same birthday, which the odds of that are astronomical. And someone who can do math better than me can uh, could tell us the odds. Uh, but it's so funny because the little, uh, the littlest one, the little Ben, he just thinks that he's one of the boys, and, um, and it's just so sweet. So we had a lot of fun uh, with them, and family, of course, comes first, and then there are uh, two new additions to my little family, which are two puppies, and I was so excited to go and pick them up and get them started, and so I wanted to introduce them this morning to our AFR family. Um, They're going to come with me next week when we have share And so when I am in studio, um, Adam and Devin are so excited to meet them and Tim and Allison. And so you'll get to see them on camera. They're two little mini golden doodles. Their names are Todd and Copper, and they are just the cutest ones. And if you want to preview any of the pictures, of course, I started an Instagram page for them because of course, and Instagram is one of those places that you can go and it's kind of away mostly from politics, and you can kind of select, I think, more so what content you see and uh, some of the things that uh, you don't want to see. You can sort of filter out um, a little bit better than some of the other platforms. So I have several Instagrams, um, you know, some that are just for one specific purpose, for, you know, health and lifestyle instead of all the political news. Um, but if you want to go and see the two cute little puppies, uh, their their hashtag or their uh, page is two dudes, and I have learned in the mini golden doodle uh, arena and uh, in in their little lifestyle, dude is DOOD because it's golden doodle. So um, so two dudes DOODs underscore. Copper and Todd and Todd is T-O-D uh, because if you are like me and love the old classic you know wonderful uh, Disney movies they came as a as a unit because they're both brothers from the same litter and so uh, Todd and Copper are of course the names of the two little best friends from The Fox and the Hound which um, was my little brother's favorite favorite movie growing up um, so they're part of our bigger family now and just doing so well and as I was um, just spending, you know, the last few days with them and getting them acclimated, it's so amazing how um, puppies already, they know who they belong to and they know that they're safe with me and they know that they can uh, just sit here and, and play and they'll just have, you know, a very happy life and they don't need to be worried about anything. And um, my mom, a few years ago, uh, she teaches a, a women's study at our church, um and she used the analogy because we had um, a family dog, Peanut, who was a little Bichon. And we lost him, unfortunately, two about two and a half years ago. And it's like losing a member of the family. But Peanut was such a faithful dog for all 13 years. And she was using him one night um, as an analogy. And she said, you know, in talking about worship, which... You know, dogs can teach us a lot of um, good character traits um, and some not good character traits maybe, but, you know, we often turn to them to see what loyalty looks like, um, what unconditional love looks like. And uh, my mom was talking about how uh, dogs also have a great um, characteristic that they can teach us what it looks like to be fully dedicated and genuinely worship the Lord. Because if you've ever had a dog, and for all of the dog lovers out there, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Dogs just absolutely love to be with you. It doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. They just want to be next to you. And in the morning from the morning until they, they go to bed, they just want to do whatever you're doing. And um, they, just, they look at you in that way that is just total unconditional love and um, and it's an aspect of how we can think about uh, what our attitude is toward the Lord because so many Christians uh, think of unfortunately church and um, and you know what we're doing in terms of our Christian life, just going to church on Sunday and then being done and we don't think about. God as much in the rest of the week, and we think, well, how does, how does God interact with my life? And we're so constantly focused on other things that we only set aside time to worship the Lord once a week or maybe in our quiet time in the morning or in the evening. But worship, in terms of what the biblical worldview talks about, is constant, and it should be our constant attitude toward the Lord and in everything— that we do, and um, for little dogs, I mean, that's their entire life is their owner, and they just want to be there. And whatever their owner is doing, they know who they belong to, and they they look at us uh, as their owners in the same way that is just completely constant it's their entire life. All they want to do is be close to their owner and um and in thinking about that you know it's such a great analogy of how we should think about our worship and our attitude toward the lord because so often we are inward focused we are self focused or you know we're focused on other things which are you know which is life and that's uh, the things that we have to do daily but do we really um have an attitude of worship in the sense of how we think about the lord 24/7 and how he should be everything to us. And uh, and this is why it's it's good to spend time with family and it's also good to take some time away from uh politics especially the type of politics that we talk about in the mornings here which of course is very important but we want to focus always on the lord and focus on why we do what we're doing and so i wanted to just take um this first segment for a few minutes and um tell you a little bit more about my family in terms of um you know the, my nieces and nephews and uh and then the new puppies and why it's so important to spend time away because Um, You know, the, the civil government aspect of everything that we do and everything that we talk about is very important to understand from a biblical worldview perspective. And we focus on that in the greater context of the three institutions that God has ordained, civil government, family government, church government. And we... Uh, every morning, talk about different things going on, particularly in the civil government sphere. And we talk about uh, the biblical worldview aspect. And then there have been other things that we've touched on with uh, family and church, of course. And hopefully all of those things are being taught at the church that you attend. And everyone should be a member of a family and of a church. And you are a member of the civil government, whether we particularly like that government or not. Some days I don't like uh, the government as much as I, I like my church and my family, but uh, but that's okay. And some of you may be thinking, well, right now, you know, I, I like my government a little more than my family currently because we've been in a fight or, you know, whatever. But um, but we need to talk about all three of those institutions. Um, but I also want you all to know me from a broader perspective of um, who, who I am as a Christian and uh, my perspective from a biblical worldview, because I don't want to get so uh, so myopically focused on the government angle and talking about the news of the day, which we're going to um, throughout the rest of this show. And uh, there was a lot of things that happened <laughs> when I was gone last week that we're going to cover uh, today and throughout the week. And and yet I want you to know that my broader perspective is to live Christianly. And um, and I have had a ministry focus throughout my whole life. I went to law school for the purpose of being a, a prosecutor. That was what I thought God was, was calling me to do. And um, ultimately, through the series of, of events in my life and how God um, unfolded his plan for me, um, I became then a defense attorney, and because of that, was able to have time to uh, to research a topic that I really wanted to and had uh, bugged me throughout law school, which was constitutional law from a biblical worldview perspective and, um, and understanding more of the apologetic or the Christian worldview behind the way we do government, not just here in America, but also how the Bible teaches us that civil government is legitimate, how it was ordained and instituted by God, and how we can act legitimately in a civil government or illegitimately, and uh, how the civil government should act, and then how the Christian, as part of a a civil government, should respond. And, um, And it really uh, was was a crisis of faith a little bit for me going through law school. And, and those of you who've listened throughout this whole year, um, it's been almost a year that I've been with you on the show, um, know, know this story, that uh, in law school, when law was taught as completely arbitrary, that uh, everything is just Whatever the sovereign, uh, which in our system of government here in America is our legislature and our executive and our judiciary, our our powers are separated, and that's a very good thing. Uh, but whatever they say, then that becomes uh, what is the measurable difference between right and wrong, permissible versus prohibited in society. And if what happens in those three branches on a federal and a state level are not consistent, with God and his truth, then the government is acting illegitimately. And uh, and that's something that doesn't get taught in law school, of course, because they just teach you in law school that whatever the Supreme Court says, well, that's precedent. And that's how our constitution should be interpreted. And we have to argue and analyze and advocate through the lens of the Supreme Court. Well, I knew growing up in a Christian family, being homeschooled, having a deep personal relationship with the Lord, being saved from a very young age, that um, that's not really how how it goes. And so I wanted to set out to have a ministry that was focused on uh, teaching and practicing constitutional law and and law, uh, criminal defense, through a biblical worldview framework. And Um, I ended up writing a book in 2015 called The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution. Um, And you can still find that wherever books are sold. It's really an apologetic of uh, how our government is established and the philosophy behind that. And so um, from that really early time, I've set out to have a ministry to teach law, to advocate for my clients. And then um, I had the privilege of a lifetime to work for President Trump. Um, And that was one part of my life. And that was the part that I think everybody knows most uh, because it was so prominent. But what I want you to understand um, is that that wasn't my whole life and that isn't my life currently. And one of the things that I love about taking time away from politics and also especially coming back Uh, Here to the AFR family is that we get to talk about truth and about God and the biblical worldview each and every day that is ministry that is so much more important than um, even advocating on behalf of a president. And obviously, we need people to do that. We need to make sure that there are good lawyers and good elected officials in every aspect of government. But I am so grateful that God has transitioned my life to a time where I can step away from just advocating for one campaign, one client, and I can be here with you each and every morning to talk about truth, the biblical worldview, and how we can apply the Christian life in worship and in our church government, our family government, and really focused on our civil government, what they're doing and also how we as Christians should respond to that. So very grateful to be back with you all. And we will be talking about the top trending headlines And we come right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. According to a recent study of hundreds of post-abortive women, 60% of women reported that they would have preferred to give birth if they had received more support from others or had more financial security. And that's where Preborn steps in. Preborn is there for women in their darkest hour, deciding between the life and death of their precious child. You see, the reality is women are being pressured to make this fatal decision and are being told that their babies are just clumps of cells. Preborn welcomes women with God's love and introduces them to the beautiful life growing inside of them, which doubles their baby's chance at life. When you support preborn, you are not only supporting women, you empower them. Your donation of twenty eight dollars will help a woman make a choice that she won't have to regret for the rest of her life and gives her the ultimate blessing life. Your love can save a life. Just dial pound two fifty and say the keyword baby that's pound two fifty baby or visit preborn dot com that's preborn dot com
1: Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio.
0: Welcome back, and we had a little puppy break, which was great. Um, the two little dogs are with me, and they are just the cutest and I cannot wait until you can uh, see them next week in studio when I come out for Sherathon. but let's talk about some of the uh, headlines that are trending this morning. So the first is that Congress actually comes to terms on a government funding bill to avoid the shutdown. So the short term bill will last 45 days and expire just before Thanksgiving. So this is um, a short term of coming on terms. And uh, they at least had, a after a few chaotic days of turmoil in the House, um, Speaker McCarthy abruptly abandoned demands for steep spending cuts. And uh, now there are calls from some in the Republican majority to expel Representative Matt Gates over a call to vacate the chair. So we will be keeping an eye on that. We invited uh, Representative Gates to come on and um, he was busy this morning, but is going to look at a time later this week. So hopefully we'll get his reaction on that. Uh, but also Senator Feinstein, Diane Feinstein from California, who was 90, passed away in the early morning hours of friday and so how is that going to uh, potentially change the senate she was from california Uh, so joining me now to discuss this and more is my good friend josh hammer who is uh, an editor at newsweek and also hosts the josh hammer show at newsweek so josh thanks so much for coming on
2: yeah jenna you bet hope you're doing well
0: yeah and i can 't wait for you to meet the little puppies sometime they 're so cute um, so so Senator Feinstein uh did pass away, and that was obviously something that wasn 't um really unexpected as she was um was ninety and so now there is a report that uh Governor Gavin Newsom from California might replace her with the Uh, CEO of Emily's Lists, which, um, as you and I were talking about yesterday off air, um, this is someone apparently who doesn't even live in the state of California. So is this just a rumor, potentially, or what do you make of this?
2: Yeah, it seems like uh, Gavin Newsom has really put the cart before the horse here, I think would be an understated way of putting it. I I mean, I have never heard of this individual, Jenna. I I am not deeply versed in pro-abortion lobbyists or pro-abortion interest groups. Um, I, on the contrary, much like you, I have devoted large swaths of, of my political activism and, and thus far a fairly young career to the pro-life cause, so I, I can't claim intimate familiarity with Gavin Newsom's radically pro-abortion purported choice for, for the U.S. Senate. But according to her Twitter bio as of last night, my friend, my good buddy Matthew Foldy And for a congressional seat in Congress last cycle, unfortunately lost, but he's very familiar with Maryland politics. He tweeted out a screenshot of LaFonza Butler, who is uh, allegedly Gavin Newsom's choice to replace Dianne Feinstein. And and her Twitter bio literally says her location is is Maryland. Again, my, my friend Matthew Colby would know this because that's where he ran for Congress as well. And then another friend of mine pointed out to me that if you go to LaFonda Butler's LinkedIn page, her location is listed as Silver Spring, Maryland, which is, you know, right across the Washington DC border. So I mean I, I, I have no idea what this is what this is about. I'm hoping that we'll get some clarity from Gavin Newsom at some point later today. Maybe it's a very bizarre trial balloon. On the other hand, he did say uh, if I recall, that he intended to nominate a specifically black woman to replace Dianne Feinstein. So this would fit that criterion. And it kind of reminds me of how Joe Biden said that he was going to nominate an, a, an explicitly black woman for his Supreme Court vacancy to replace the retiring Justice Stephen Breyer, which, of course, he did. And this is just how the Democratic Party works, unfortunately, in this time and era. Is It's just crack identity politics, intersectionality all the way down very bizarre but look i mean this is this is not legal i mean you can't do this unless unless she lives in california or or at a bare minimum unless she can show some sort of california residency i i mean there have been some controversies along these lines jenna over the years so if i recall if i recall if i recall correctly dr oz lost to john fetterman in, in pennsylvania in in that very unfortunate senate race last year if i recall dr oz had a residency across the Pennsylvania-New Jersey border. And this was a little bit of a Tempest in a Teapot controversy for a little while there, but he was able to show that he had some sort of Pennsylvania residency, so it ultimately worked out. So these sort of controversies do come up. So if Gavin Newsom is serious about this, then his purported nominee is going to have to demonstrate that she has some demonstrable California residence, because as of now, this is looking like a really bizarre sort of stunt.
0: Yeah, it is. And I think um, potentially a trial balloon might be the way that this is headed. And of course, you know, he hasn't, um, at least that I've seen, he has not announced this. This was just, you know, according to sources familiar uh, with what he intends to do. So maybe this is just, you know, being potentially leaked and then um, he'll ultimately go with someone who isn't quite as, Uh, radical on the left. And for those of you not familiar with Emily's List, um, this is the nation's largest resource, according to their own website, dedicated to electing Democrat pro-choice women to office. I mean, so this is about as radical and leftist as you can get because they are uh, for state-funded abortion on demand. And and that's what uh, this entire Emily's List is dedicated to. And uh, so for Gavin Newsom, you know, potentially, I think, Josh, this also could be that he's trying to recover his uh, Democrat credentials and image a little bit from the veto of uh, the the bill in California that I think a lot of conservatives were really surprised to see that he vetoed uh, that bill that was going to uh, force judges to consider as a uh, determining or outcome uh, determining factor in terms of parental rights and custody, which parent affirmed their child's preferred gender. and um, And for him, to veto that, and I, I read his short letter back to the California general Assembly. Um, his rationale was was pretty spot on and was something that you would expect from a more conservative governor, so it could be potentially that that this is something that he's just trying to um, to to float out there through some of the um, you know some of the people who are going to leak to the media, and then he'll come back with a choice that. Is a little bit more rational, but then on the same hand, you know, if um, this individual from Emily's list can show that, you know, maybe she she has a residence out in Maryland for purposes of uh, working in Washington D.C., but really she has lived and voted uh, in California, then you know maybe she can show that. So, um, in terms though of whoever he nominates, which of course will be a Democrat. Um, this isn't going to change anything really in the Senate. I mean, I think he's going to try to to get someone who will keep the voting record of Feinstein.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, you know, Diane Feinstein was n- not necessarily like an AOC style, absolute crazy, far left socialist nut job, but she was not considered a a pragmatic centrist I and mean, she was certainly not joe manchin either i, I mean diane feinstein very much was kind of a feminist trailblazer back at the at the heights of the of the old school feminist movements back in the 1970s or so that's really when she rose to political power in in, in the 1970s out in san francisco back when the issues were kind of those canonical feminist issues like abortion rights, the so-called Equal Rights Amendment, BRA, things like that. So, I, I mean, she is a California progressive. And, um, you know, would like LaFonda Butler or someone of that ilk be uh, more lefty? I mean, further to the left? Probably. I mean, that's kind of just a generational divide, right? I mean, the, I mean, the younger Democrats tend to just be more radically leftist than their older generation, their their forebears were, so to speak. But I mean, it's not going to be a huge shift either way. I mean, it, 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 in a way, it's kind of like replacing Stephen Breyer with Ketanji Brown-Jackson, actually, on the Supreme Court. It's kind of like the analogy that we were just talking about a few minutes ago. I mean, Stephen Breyer, he was slightly more pragmatic. He had some kind of peculiar uh, jurisprudential buckets where he tended to side with the conservatives or the moderates more. He had actually some decent opinions, believe it or not, when it came to religious liberty. I'm thinking of this case, actually, that then Texas Solicitor General Ted Cruz litigated way back in 2005 or so called Van Orden versus Perry pertaining to the Ten Commandments monument at the Texas State Capitol in Austin, Stephen Breyer, in that case, actually joined the the conservatives to uphold the constitutionality of those Ten Commandments. That was considered a, a shock to to many. But overall, he was a pretty liberal guy. And again, similar to Ketanji Brown Jackson, I mean, she won't have these kind of random deviations, so to speak. But she's going to be very liberal. So I mean, similar thing here, right? I mean, Dan Feinstein, maybe there's an issue that she would kind of look at and maybe kind of side with the moderates on here and there. But it's not it's not going to make a huge difference. And, hey, and, and I see your other point about you have a Newsom and the transgender parental rights thing that, that he vetoed. Well, a couple things on that. One is, I mean, there's kind of mixed data points here, right? On the one hand, the optics of what he did, kind of vetoing this thing in the late hours Friday afternoon. I mean, I think he did it at like six, seven p.m. local time, so it was you know almost time to go to to go to bed on the <laughs> East Coast on a Friday night. I mean, talk about kind of a classic attempt to try to hide the news. So that is that does, I think, militate, you know, in favor of of, of what you and, and many others are saying, which is that he's maybe trying to kind of uh, hide the ball here, that he's being a little more pragmatic, a little more centrist, dare I say, even a little more conservative on this particular issue. On the other hand a lot of people said that the specific language of this law was duplicative over existing California law and it wasn't actually necessary and that a lot of what the kind of transgender lobby was asking for was actually already there i mean i mean would, would this language have shirted up and given the transgender folks you know greater quote unquote rights over their kids probably i i mean definitely so i'm happy that he vetoed it i mean i mean of course i'm happy that he vetoed it i'm very happy he did so but I'm not sure it, it made a huge difference, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he has some of his left-wing flank that is upset, no doubt about it, with this veto, regardless of whether it was duplicative or not. So from that perspective, maybe this is an attempt to try to curry favor with his base. It's just a very ham-fisted and bizarre way of doing so, unless LaFonza Butler is, is actually a Californian. But, you know, again, this kind of all happens, you know, you know, over – Overnight, essentially. I I found out about this, you know, at like 8, 9 p.m. or so last night. So I, I, I mean, I guess we'll I guess we'll find out hopefully more today as to whether she's actually a Californian.
0: Yeah, and uh, and I'm speaking with Josh Hammer, who is uh, the senior editor at large at Newsweek and host of the Josh Hammer Show, which uh, provides really great analysis on a lot of political perspectives and legal opinions. Um, Josh, you are an attorney as well, and uh, clerked for was it the Fifth Circuit? Yep. As well, yes, Um, and so you know, always love your legal opinion and your show. It's um, it's one that I never miss, and I always uh, appreciate all of your insights. And so, you know, it it is really interesting. Um, And I and I pulled up the tweet from Matthew Foldy that you were saying in that screenshot. Um, does show that, you know, she is she puts her location as Maryland. So it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how that all unfolds. And and I think it'll also be interesting as well, because a lot of people are focused, myself included, on Gavin Newsom and a potential presidential run, um, assuming that Joe Biden Either drops out, or um, you know, for some reason internally the DNC cuts some kind of deal, or however that works. Um, There are a lot of people that that just don't really see a Biden candidacy um, being that effective for the Democrats, and nobody that I've talked to, except very very hardcore leftists and very very hardcore uh, MAGA, really want. Another repeat of Trump versus Biden. And so now, especially with um, RFK Jr. running independent, um, that puts a really different spin, I think, on the general election. And I've said for a while that uh, the first major political party, Republicans or Democrats, that nominates someone other than a Biden or a Trump will have an advantage now that RFK Jr. Be, uh, is running because he does appeal to a lot of moderates. Um, so how is all of this, if it is, uh, with the Senate appointment potentially factoring into to uh, Gavin Newsom's profile, as a lot of people are anticipating that he might be waiting in the wings?
2: Well, at a bare minimum, I mean, the optics of him choosing U.S. senators kind of plays into his kingmaker status, right? I mean, so like, like the fact that he – and I'm actually a little surprised, frankly, that this trial balloon, if that's what it was with LaFontaine Butler, I'm a little surprised that this trial balloon failed as early as it did because I kind of expected him to try to milk that kingmaker status for a little more. I kind of expected him – I mean, like Gavin Newsom is a is, – is a, he, he, he is a total creature of Hollywood, right? I mean, I mean, he has never seen a camera – he has never seen a, a a footage reel. He has never seen an interview or any sort of media attention that he does not immediately crave. So I kind of expected him to try to go around the media circuit, the speaking circuit, trying to kind of publicly weigh the pros and cons of various nominees, just to, just to try to kind of instill this image into people's minds that that that, that he is kind of this this major figure, but. You look. I mean, that is the question lurking in the backgrounds here. I mean, I thought it was a little bizarre, frankly, after the second Republican debate last Wednesday, when Sean Hannity had Gavin Newsom right there to sit him down for an interview to discuss the Republican debate that had just happened. Um, but you, you know, that kind of bizarre decision aside, I, I mean, like Gavin Newsom is very clearly trying to carve this niche for himself as kind of the National Democratic Party icon in waiting. I mean, he is clearly trying to do that. He clearly wants to be president of the United States. The only question is whether he will make that run in 2028, or circumstances may dictate that he will do so here in the 2024 cycle. The question that I have had for a while now about the Gavin Newsom 2024 chatter, well, I guess there's two questions. One is, Look, Joe Biden, say what you will about him. His approval ratings are in the toilet. He's an absolutely horrific president. He is senile. He's mentally, physically weak. He is all of these things. I call for him to resign, to be impeached. I mean, I, he's just got awful. But... He is of the <laughs> to put it States, mildly. Yes, to, yes. Yeah. I mean, but but, but he is wanted to be president of the United States for, for at least fifty years. I mean, this is a guy who got to D.C. as a senator from Delaware in 1972. Right. I, I mean, good luck trying to kind of nudge him to to just casually yeah. step aside at this point. And maybe it could happen. Don't put it past them. But I, I'm a little skeptical. The other major glaring problem that Democrats have when it comes to the Gavin Newsom 2024 chatter is how do you leapfrog Kamala Harris, right? Mm. Democrats are already facing depressed enthusiasm among Black and Hispanic and other minority voters. The polls show that many young Black men in particular are slowly gravitating towards the Republican Party, potentially Would this have any effect if you just skip over Kamala Harris to go straight to Gavin Newsom? Uh, It's a very risky proposition, especially going straight for a white male in a party that, as we just discussed, is now so keen on intersectionality and identity politics.
0: Interesting. Well, Josh Hammer, we'll have to leave it there. Always appreciate your analysis. You can find Josh at Newsweek and also on social media. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning.
1: This is Frank Gaffney, host of Securing America, a program dedicated to protecting the country we love against all enemies, foreign and domestic, to the glory of God and His Kingdom. Each weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, we provide insights and recommendations about the most important challenges facing our nation from her most thoughtful experts and patriots. Join me to learn how you can help in Securing America right here at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Today's Issues is American Family Radio's flagship program featuring AFA President Tim Wilde. They're going to deny this till the Lord comes back. Right. And others, staff and friends of the American Family Association. Did they leak this? Was it intentional? Was it an accident? We want more answers. It's a part of history. You know, we need to know. Today's Issues, with the help of American Family News, making sense of the issues of the day. Weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. So
2: Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stopped. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Often when the concept of intercession is raised, we normally think about prayer. And we should. Prayer is one form of intercession. Here we see another, living intercession. At the climax of a plague, Aaron runs into the fray. Armed with incense, and where he stands, the plague stops. Aaron literally stands between the living and the dead. May God move us to be living intercessors for our day, and where we take our stand in Christ, the plague stops.
1: Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management.
3: I had
0: numerous credit cards,
1: and I was struggling with paying them off. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. talk to a certified counselor.
3: I had heard about Trinity, so I made the call. They took care of all of my credit cards, and now I am completely
0: debt-free.
1: Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, put a stop to late fees and over-limit charges, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands.
3: The people at Trinity are very friendly. They will do whatever you need them to do in order for you to feel better about being
1: in a very difficult place. If your debt has you down, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813.
3: My name is Anne, and I'm debt-free for keeps.
1: 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio.
0: And welcome back. And I'm very pleased to uh, welcome in Ashley Hayek, who is the executive director of America First Works. And she has a brand new book out called Beat the Elites, Five Steps to Stop the Elites and Save America. And Ashley and I got to know each other uh, during the Trump 2020 re-election campaign as uh, we were both members of uh, Women for Trump and that coalition. And she's done such a great job in uh, politics and also in uh, talking about her political and nonprofit consulting and as the national coalition director for the Trump-Pence 2020 campaign. So welcome, Ashley, and uh, this book looks fantastic.
3: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, and it's great to be on your show, Jenna, and that's a very huge compliment coming from you, so thank you.
0: Thanks so much. So, uh, so five steps to stop the elites and save America. I think uh, we all, regardless of who we're supporting in the primary, can all agree that we need to save America from the elites and from the radical left. So give us a preview of what are the five steps. Sure. So you're exactly right.
3: The elites are waging war against the American people and it's time for us to fight back. So I would look at this book as more of a field manual, a field guide as to exactly how we can expose and take action to save America. I mean, since Biden moved into the White House, so many things have gone wrong. They opened the border, um, but they live behind secure walls, right? They expose us to drugs in danger, but they are protected by private security. They move illegals into our communities, but um, they don't let them live in their neighborhoods. Right. We're seeing that just this morning. Another statement in New York. Um, so each one of the, the sections has a call to action um, and it gives you a way to contact your elected representatives and demand a taxpayer's bill of rights or demand that they secure the border um, and basically just take power back into your own hands.
0: And this is so important, Ashley, because I think that that so many people and from you know listeners that write in or call in all the time um, to our radio network are all saying exactly what um, you are advocating for, which is that we 're seeing all of this go on in our country and in our culture, and a lot of individuals feel uh, feel helpless really that our voice doesn 't necessarily matter, mm-hmm. and even some of the national Uh, Party politicians that should be representing us in our values just aren't really listening. And particularly for conservatives, um, a lot of whom are Republicans, uh, would see that the National Republican Party really isn't championing a lot of things that matter uh, to the American people. So how can Uh, individuals with, you know, whether it's the tax issue, it's the the border issue, it's their children, it's uh, parental rights, you know, any of these things, religious liberty, um, how can they get involved individually or with a coalition? Yes.
3: So one thing I learned earlier this year, I was traveling um, to various states to help pass state legislation. And I do believe that party, the power belongs in the states, right? Um, because conservatives, that's what we believe, like less power at the federal level, more power at the state and local level. And one of the things I realized was people would always ask, how do we get, you know, this legislator? How do we get, get this congressman to do what I want them to do? Um, how, like, you know, how do, how do we get them to listen to what I'm, say- what I, what I have to say? And people have forgotten that we, the people hold the power. They don't have the power. We gave them the power. And so now we have an opportunity here, especially given how the direction of this country has gone, given the fact that we have all of this information. And I'm telling you, gentlemen, when I started researching and started digging deep, the amount of hypocrisy that has been exposed is completely crazy, both from the Liz Cheney's and the Republican Party, um, you know, to the Nancy Pelosi's and the Democrat Party and beyond. But it's time for individual people to call their congressmen, you know, show up in their office um, speak up for themselves, you know, pay attention to what's going on in your kid's school and email your principal. It doesn't matter what level you're at, but you can speak up. And the more the, the picture of the, the cover of the book is the picture of all of these fish that come together that are basically eating the shark. And when people realize that together we have more power than if we work together, um, then we can take down the establishment and we can take take on these issues head on.
0: Yeah, and and I think that is so important for people to understand that they do have a national voice and they do have uh, power not just in the ballot box. And I know a lot of people are very frustrated, even in uh, in voting and how you know elections have gone and, and all of that. Um, but you know, with your experience consulting as well, I mean, there's a lot of people who are very concerned. I think about um, the consultant class and you know people who um, are maybe you know advising the people in D.C. about different. Issues and so, from your experience um, in where where I think you've been consulting in the right ways, um, how can we be assured that you know that the candidates are actually getting good advice? And how much do they, in your experience, rely on what their their constituents or their um, the people that would be their constituents if they're in elected office, what they think versus what consultants are suggesting? That's a really good question. I think you're exactly
3: right. There is too much power in the consulting class. Um, my background has always been in political and nonprofit fundraising. And I worked on a number of campaigns um, in the state of California. And one thing that I realized was when we would do a reelection campaign, and we would send that first email out, re-announcing our campaign, our reelection campaign. Um, it was fascinating, the responses. You could tell an elected official who is responsive and doing their job by the replies from the donors on that first email. It was either Mm. now I'm hearing you for the first time in two years or four years when you've ignored me this entire, like now you're asking me for money when you haven't shown up to anything as opposed to absolutely, you know, can I host something for you? Um, And you can just see by their staff, by the responsiveness of the candidate or the elected official, um, how they're addressing issues Are they talking points or are they sincere? Um, And I think it's just a matter of paying attention. We live in such a fast-paced society where there's so much information um, so quickly, but it also is a benefit because everything is online now, right? So you can get that clip. You can see what's happening behind the scenes. And I think we just have to pay attention and open our eyes a little bit more.
0: Yeah, that is such a great point. And I'm speaking with uh, Ashley Hayek, who is the executive director of America First Works. And she has this brand new book um, that I encourage everyone to get called Beat the Elites, Five Steps to Stop the Elites and Save America. And uh, that's a really fascinating point that um, that you really can tell. the the difference between the candidates uh, that are that are loved and trusted versus uh, people who've been in office. And it seems like the only time they really pay attention to anything is when they're trying to run for reelection. And if any of us um, had, you know, that perspective for our regular jobs, we probably wouldn't get very far with our bosses. And so, you know, it's it's a little bit funny that uh, we look at these candidates who are supposed to work for us, but it feels like they're not paying uh, that much attention. So what, Should Uh, people be looking for when it seems like, especially with just this last GOP debate where I was so frustrated that hardly anybody had time to really say anything beyond talking points. And, you know, we can look at um, the candidates on stage that do have records. We can look at um, the candidate, the one candidate who wasn't on stage um, as well, President Trump and his record. And I think a lot of people are making their determinations of who to support um, based on records and based on what they knew prior to the debates. I'm not sure that that really had any net uh, positive or negative really effect on anyone. Um, But what would your advice be, Ashley, um, for people who they want to pay more attention uh, for things to look for when it seems like all we get from emails and uh, media hits are talking points? Yeah, I think a couple things. Number one,
3: I don't love the debates because they're so staged. Right. And so and I think as conservatives, we're like, okay, who's going to break out? Who's going to really be the star here? And we just haven't seen that across the board. Um, And so and there's just such like an emphasis on it. And I think that a lot of, you know, average Americans, like they're not they don't have time to sit there and watch an hour long debate on TV. Um, What I will say is they do all have a record. And so go back and look at the policies. And I do think that when you look at, you know, X or Twitter. When you see the clips, um, the interview with Tucker Carlson and Mike Pence, and you see uh, snippets of that, I think that's important. And to see what their what their record and what they've accomplished. You know, when we were working on the campaign, Janet, um, one thing about President Trump was it was always promises made, promises kept. And we had a list of promises that were made and then the policies that followed behind that. And so if you can look and identify, OK, what are the policies that are important to me and what has this elected official done to make that policy a priority or to make my community better, whether it is the border, whether it is, you know, energy conservation, or protecting our kids, whatever your issue is, abortion, um, mm-hmm. they all have a record. Uh, and I think it's just a matter of finding it.
0: I, yeah, I think the book and, will
3: do a really good job of kind of identifying a lot of th- these policies
1: too.
0: Oh, that's great. And uh, and I think that that's also very important because for a lot of values voters and, and specifically um, evangelical Christians and you know, the majority of our AFR family are very concerned about religious liberty and pro-life as probably two of the the top topics and then uh, parental rights. But when it comes to some of these other things that you mentioned, um, you know, border security, energy policy, the economy, um, they're, we're very interested in those. But I think that there's not as much education on some of those things and the specific policy differences, unless that is specifically your niche area. Um, but for the average voter, um, what can your book um, help educate people on in terms of why these policies and the subtle differences, especially in a primary, for example, are so important to pay attention to?
3: Yeah. So if you go through the book and you go through the different charges, at the end of the book, you'll or at the end of each section, there's a comparison about how the policies impact you as, you know, an everyday American versus how um, the elites, Or you know the lifelong bureaucrats, elected or unelected, um, are impacted. And there's a lot of really, really um, great comparisons, I think, between what is expected of us and what what they get themselves. So, for example, um, you know, in Congress, there's alcohol delivery to the congressional offices, like. That's not acceptable when it's the taxpayers who are paying for that, right? So there's all these little intricacies that we just don't know about. That's just one example of a fringe benefit for them. But scorecard is what we have in the book. So the people have higher food costs, higher gas and energy costs, higher housing costs, higher poverty, higher taxes. I try to pull in some stories of some individual people and how they've been impacted by these policies Whereas the elites, on the other hand, they get higher pay. There's insider trading. Look at Liz Cheney, for example. She started in Congress with a net uh, net worth of $7 million. Within a year, she's at $14 million. And then by the time she was done, quote, serving, quote, she was over $40 million net worth. Just being a congressional member, how like, how is that right? Um, they have gener- generous health benefits, generous retirement benefits, taxpayer-funded ber- perks, private jets, um, fewer working days, multiple vacations, while – The American people are dealing with closed businesses and fewer jobs and lower net worth. And so it's really these contrasts that you'll be able to take away through stories and anecdotes, and then just basic facts. Um, I feel like it's a pretty easy read and you can dig deep and see, you know, whether it's energy or China or, um, you know, the border. There's very specific examples you'll be able to take away.
0: And the book is called Beat the Elites, and Ashley Hayek is the author. And, you know, it is really frustrating, I think, for all of us who are average Americans to see that our public servants are not really serving uh, us as well as probably they could or as well as we would expect while they're still reaping all of um, these other benefits. And you mentioned Liz Cheney, I mean, who her voting record in terms of um, the conservative scorecard was actually really good, and and I know that um, she she left office with um, everyone kind of having a very bad taste in their mouths because of how she treated uh, President Trump and the whole uh, January sixth committee kind of fiasco. I think she really damaged her whole um, conservative reputation on that. But just um, as an example of someone like her, who uh, you know her net worth uh, went up as as you said, and that this isn't just the Democrats, and so you know this is more um, an evidence evidence of a uniparty and of people who are focused on other things than just serving the American people. And so in just the last few minutes I have with you, and I so appreciate your time, Ashley Hayek. And again, the book is called Beat the Elites. Definitely go and pick that up. And um, this is a five uh, five steps to stop the elites and save America, which we all want to do. Um, is there hope in terms of whoever we elect, does that really change anything? Because I think that's also a key frustration is that we do see some differences between candidates. Certainly there was a huge difference in the four years of Donald Trump versus uh, the the last few years of Joe Biden. But in terms of our regular elections, it doesn't seem like, regardless of who we put up, that they are able to kind of beat the system and truly drain the swamp and get – American government back to the limited principles of the founding?
3: Yeah. So I work with the sister organization to America First Works is the America First Policy Institute. And for the past year, AFPI has been focused on what an America First transition could look like. So that it doesn't matter who from the conservative or America First side you know, whether it's Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy or Nikki Haley goes into the next White House, we have a plan. We know what the policies are, we know what the process is, and we know who the personnel are. Um, I think the process is one of the most critical pieces that was missing in the previous, in the, in President Trump's first term. You know, you can't govern if you don't know where the bathroom is, and the entire unelected bureaucratic class is trying to undermine everything you do. So I feel very hopeful about the future. I think everything is, has been exposed and continues to be exposed, and I do think that 250 years ago, we kicked out the British elite. We're the biggest, fast <laughs> around. I think we did it then. We can do it again now. And I think this book will help provide the tools.
0: Awesome. Well, Ashley Hayek, the book is Beat the Elites. And we're going to have a Mark Lauder from the American First Policy Institute on tomorrow. So looking forward to that. You can always reach me, Jenna, at AFR.net. I'll see you tomorrow morning. We'd like to thank our sponsors, including Preborn. Preborn has rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day their network clinics rescue 200 babies' lives. Will you join Preborn in loving and supporting young moms in crisis? Save a life today. Go to preborn.com.